0: Well, I've recently been watching episodes of the show called <clears throat> Undercover Boss, Undercover Boss. And the show is great, and it, it just cracks me up by how these employees that are disgruntled just dig themselves a hole, dig themselves a hole. And they're talking to this new employee, so they think, and they're sharing all the bad drama about the job. They're telling them everything that they don't like and how much they wish they had a different job and how much they wish things were different in the job. And so they're feeding all of this information to this new employee only to find out that new employee is the most powerful person in the company. It's the CEO. The CEO is hearing all of the bad things that these disgruntled employees have to say about the company that they Oversee, and when they find out that it's the CEO, it's pure entertainment because their jaws drop. Like I cannot believe I've been expressing my feelings about this job to this CEO. I should probably update my resume and find something else to do. But then there's another aspect of the show that where the CEO typically gets to work with somebody that is a great employee that they exemplify everything that the CEO would want each and every employee to exemplify. They're a great person to be around. They bring great energy, great joy to the job. And the CEO oftentimes is left amazed by the work ethic of this employee that they're spending time with. And in one particular episode that I was watching, there was a CEO, his name was Mitch, Mitch Modell. He was the CEO and owner of Model Sporting Goods that's on the East Coast, and he was working with this frontline employee named Angel. And he was working with Angel, and he was amazed by Angel's work ethic and everything that she did to make the job a joy for everyone that was around her and to make the job a joy for herself. She appreciated the job, and he was just amazed by it, and he continued to ask questions and find out more information about Angel and what got her ticking and what motivated her. And as he got to know Angel a little bit more, he found out that, in fact, the last two, two and a half years, Angel had been homeless. She had been homeless in and out of a homeless shelter, and yet she still came to work with so much joy and excitement and did her job with excellence. But that wasn't it. He found out that Angel also had a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a 20-month-old who shared this homeless experience with her. But even so, with all of that going on, she still did her job with joy and excellence, and he was amazed. And so he had to find out a little bit more about what is your motivation because I want to take what you have and replicate that across the entire company. So what is it that gets you going? And here's what Angel said. Angel told him that it's bigger than this job. It's much bigger than this job. My motivation, my my reason for showing up, the reason that gets me out of bed is much bigger than this job. It's those kids. The reason I work so hard is those kids. I want to give them a hope that they could never have. I want to give them a future that they can know that if they work hard and they enjoy things, that they can have joy in this life. And so you see, she put her hope and her motivation in something far beyond that job and it allowed her to endure whatever the job had to bring her because she saw the job as just a a means to an end, a means to an end. It wasn't supposed to fulfill her. It was a means to an end so that she could give her kids that hope for the future. And so, of course, Mitch was blown away, and when he finally revealed to her that he was a CEO, he called her to headquarters, he called her to his office, and he, on the spot, promoted her and made her a manager, gave her a pay raise because of her work ethic. And he didn't just stop there. He awarded her with $250,000 to go buy a house so that she did not have to be homeless anymore. Well, the great thing about this story, if you're a Christian here this morning, even if you are living in this world and dealing with all this world has to offer, our hope is far beyond this world. It's much bigger than everything else in this world. We understand that this world is just a means to an end. Our hope is not set in this world. It is a means to an end, and God has given us a hope that lasts for eternity, God has given us a hope that's rooted in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not rooted in anything that you and I have created. It's rooted in Jesus Christ in this permanent. God, the CEO of this universe, has given you and I that great gift. And he wants us to understand while we're living in this world, our hope is not to be in this world and the things of this world. Our hope is to be fixated on what he's given us in Jesus Christ. And if we don't understand that message, if we don't understand how to differentiate a hope in Jesus Christ, the biblical hope, the true hope that God gives us in the Word of God, if we aren't able to differentiate that between the worldly hope, then we're in trouble because we can put our hope into something that God has not promised that will last us beyond this lifetime. And guess what? When that hope fails, we become angry. We become disgruntled. We become frustrated because the hope that lies within this world was never meant to last. The only hope that's meant to last is in Jesus Christ as he transcends this world. He's defeated death. And so you and I need to make sure that we have our hope rested in Jesus Christ and him alone. And I love this passage that we're getting into this morning because I don't know if there's a better hope passage. I'm sure there is, but uh, that's debatable. But it's a great hope passage that as we start this year off, I want you and I to fixate our hope in Jesus Christ because you're going to hear the word hope all day, every day, countless amount of time. I hope this, I hope that. You probably used it this morning, right? It comes in small packages, it comes in big packages. You probably hope that the light didn't turn red so you made it here on time. You you probably hope that it wasn't raining this morning so you didn't get your outfit wet, right? Those are the smaller hopes, but then there's also bigger hopes. You hope that your next doctor's appointment checkup doesn't doesn't reveal a life-altering illness that you might have. Because it's New Year's Day, Day, you're going to get this all the time. I hope you have a happy new year. I hope you have a happy new year. You're going to say that. You're going to hear that all day long. And I'm not saying that you can't say that. But understand there's a difference. There's a difference between wishing someone has a happy new year versus the true biblical hope that's rooted and centered in Jesus Christ that's everlasting. And we need to be able to differentiate that. So let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 3 through 5 this morning. And Peter gives us a foundation of that hope that we have. And he tells us the outcome that we can have with that hope. And guess what? When you have the right understanding of this hope, you have the right understanding of this hope, it doesn't matter if life is, is, is on the uphill, on the upswing or on the downswing. It doesn't dictate the way you worship God because it was never centered in anything that this life has to offer. It also allows you to live this life, as Angel did, with joy. Live this life with joy, whatever it has to bring. Because 2023, I can promise you, is going to have its ups and downs, but if we get this hope right, this biblical hope, and then we are centered and rooted in that, it doesn't matter what this world has to bring. Because our hope isn't in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ Let's read about that right now. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. Undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. John Wooden is a legendary coach that coached for UCLA. He's iconic, and everybody wanted to be like John Wooden. Every coach, every player wanted to play for John Wooden. But the one thing about John Wooden that was unique is when he got a new freshman class, he didn't go automatically to teaching them how to shoot three-pointers and how to run trick plays and be strategic and all this stuff. He focused on the basics. He focused on the basics. And guess what the freshmen had to learn how to do their first practice? Tie their shoe. You see, John Wooden said, "We're going to focus on the basics, the foundation of basketball. First, we got to learn how to tie their sho- tie our shoes before we get to all the fancy things. Before we get to the the plays, before we get to offense and defense and all of that stuff, we got to focus on the foundation." And he even said this, this was one of his quotes, because he wanted his players to focus on what they could, could control as opposed to what the opponents would bring. He said this, the more concerned we become over things we can't control, the less we will do with the things you can control. So I love how Peter starts this off. He's starting this letter, writing to a whole bunch of Christians that are dispersed, that are, that are under persecution, that are facing oppression, that are that are being pressured to go back to their old ways. And before he gets to all of that, he says, let's rejoice. Let's say blessed. Let's have this doxology. Let's give praise to God before we start talking about all the things that you're going through. I think that's a great thing to start with. Let's praise God for what he has done before we start talking about what you are going through. Peter focuses on what they can control, and that's that they can be glad and they can rejoice. And if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, just as these Christians that Peter is writing to, his audience did, then you can have that same joy and you can be glad, just like Peter's telling them to be glad, regardless of what you're going through. We can be glad and we can rejoice. And we should do that and do that all the more because, again, our hope is permanent and rooted in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want us to understand this morning. So let's write that down for point number one. You and I need to be glad our hope is permanent. Be glad our hope is permanent. I mean, anytime you hear the word hope going forward, my my prayer is it would trigger you to say Hope, that's fine. Is it a worldly hope? Is it a godly hope? And if it's a worldly hope, being able to differentiate, yep, it's fine to say that. But understanding that will come to an end. I want to think about godly hope, and I want to be glad that my hope is rested in Jesus Christ. You hear the word hope, you think about the permanent hope that you have, and you be glad about that. Be glad about that permanent hope. A couple months ago, my my wife and kids were coming to meet me at the YMCA over in Laguna Niguel, and my wife pulled up in the parking lot, and the YMCA Laguna Niguel is is on a slope a little bit, and so normally, as my five-year-old daughter does, she unbuckles herself and she opens up the car door. No issues have been there, Uh, but... When you're on a downhill slope, there's gravity that's involved that's usually not there. And so she opens up this car door and she couldn't catch it fast enough. And before you know it, boom, that car door hits another car. And so as my wife is coming to let me know that, you know, my my daughter has opened up the car door and it's hit another car. um, In my mind, the first thing that comes up is what kind of car was it? Because I'm thinking, I'm just praying it was a decrepit car that was beat up, that already had some bumps and bruises. Not a big deal. That was my hope. But then my wife proceeded to tell me that it was a brand new white Tesla. I just thought to myself, I know how Tesla people are. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you have a Tesla, don't be offended. But, it, but it automatically my heart sank because I'm like, oh, man. And so of course my wife writes a letter and she uh, decides to put my name on there, so they call me, that's fine. So the lady, a couple days later, she calls me and she goes, hi, is this Kellen?" And I realized it was her, so I perked up, hi, how are you? Are you doing well today? I hope you are. but she told me she went and got a couple of quotes and estimates on the damage for the car. And again, mind you, it was a minor little, little ding, but you could see it. And so she went and got a couple uh, quotes and she wanted to tell me what those quotes were. And so I braced myself as I'm sitting in my office and I was like, all right, what did they say? She said, I went to the first place and they told me that it would be $900. She said, I thought that was outrageous. I said, I do too. Um, <laughs> And so she said, I I decided to go to another one to see if I could get a better price. And so she went to a a Tesla body shop and she said that they said it would be about $1,400. She said, I thought that was outrageous. I said, I do too. (laughs) But then she asked the guy at the Tesla dealership or the Tesla body shop, is this something that would be under warranty through normal wear and tear? Because I just leased this car. I just started the lease of this car. And is this something that would be under warranty? And the guy said, yes, absolutely, 100%. That would be under warranty. And so she said, Kellen, I wanted to call you and let you know that uh, when I saw your car, I noticed that it had a Compass Bible Church sticker on the back of your car. And my assumption is that you're a Christian. And I'm calling you because I want to bless you and let you know that don't, I don't want you to worry about this. If it's under wear and tear, I don't want you to have to pay for it because I want to bless you as another saint, as another Christian. And so what's the point of that? You need to get a Compass Bible Church sticker. No, that's not the point. <laughs> it would be good to have one just so we can continue to, to, to show the goodness of what God is doing here. But that's not the point. The point is she showed me mercy. She showed me great mercy. She gave me something. She shielded me something that I deserved. I deserved to pay for that dent that was in her car. But she showed me great mercy by saying, I'm willing to forgive you of that. And I want to bless you. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give you this blessing. And I want you to understand that you don't deserve it. To truly appreciate and to truly be glad that we have this lasting and permanent hope. The first thing you and I need to do is understand that God gave us great mercy, as this passage says, that you and I don't deserve it. We don't deserve this great mercy that he's given us. It doesn't matter if you were born in a Christian family. It doesn't matter if you've been successful in your job. It doesn't matter if you've had a successful life, if you're a generous person. It does not matter. You and I do not deserve the mercy that God has bestowed upon us. It is because of his great mercy and only his great mercy that we've been given this. Mercy is the most misunderstood doctrine of the Bible, one of the most misunderstood doctrines of the Bible. You see, it's all throughout the Bible. God shows his great mercy in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, but it's often one of the most overlooked things in the Bible. I don't want us to overlook that. I want us to focus on that and really understand that. So turn with me to Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. I want to read a passage to help us understand this mercy so that we can know how good God is and how merciful he is to us. Titus 3, starting in verse 3, it says this, for we ourselves, that's you and I included, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So first of all, we need to understand that you and I don't deserve his great mercy. And second, we need to understand that he and he alone has caused it. He, the creator, has given us a permanent hope that there's only one way. It's a one-way street, and that is through Jesus Christ. That is the only way to our permanent hope, and we should be glad about that. We should be glad about that because it's through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, because you and I, we were born into sin. It goes way back to Adam and Eve. You and I were born into sin. There was nothing we can do about it. If you didn't sin within the first 10 minutes of your life, you've sinned within the last 10 hours of your life. I know that for a fact. And that that, that sin has to be paid for. God would not be a just God if he doesn't punish us for that sin, but God in his merciful way sent his Wonderful and beautiful son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live the perfect life that you and I cannot live. And he took the punishment that you and I deserve on that cross so that we could get his perfect life. And he takes the punishment that we deserve, all of it. And then he he, he died. He died but he didn't just die, he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave and defeated death and he ascended to heaven so that you and I can have eternal life. And so if we put our faith and trust that Jesus has risen from the grave, you and I will rise from the grave one day to spend eternity with him. We will raise from the grave. He has caused us only by his life, death and resurrection to be born again you had nothing to do with your first birth you have nothing to do with being born again the only thing you need to do is surrender your life to Christ and live for him and he promises that we can have that permanent hope and we can be glad about that this morning we can be glad about that permanent hope that gives us assurance of our salvation because it's rooted in Jesus Christ that hope is permanent it's not the world's world version of hope, where they try to throw forever on something that's not forever, right? If you remember, De Beers Diamond Company had this famous ad campaign slogan. The slogan actually came out in 1947, and you all know it because it still rings loud today. It is, a diamond is, one word, forever, right? A diamond is forever, and I mean, that took diamond sales through the roof. It it, it made this parallel between diamond and love. And if you didn't get your, your gal a diamond, you didn't love her. And so they fooled us because now everybody's buying diamonds to express their love because it is a symbol from what that ad has told us of forever. But the only thing that they didn't tell you about that ad is while a diamond may or may not be forever, guess what's not forever? We're not (laughs) we're not forever. So you can buy that diamond and you can rest your hope in thinking that that's forever. But guess what? You're going to pass that diamond to someone else. You're not going to always have that diamond because God's written eternity on our hearts. Ecclesiastes tells us that he's written eternity on our hearts, so we're constantly trying to fill that, that, that void of eternity with things of this world, and it's never going to work. We try to put it in our job. We try to rest our hope in finances to, 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 to last us forever, and it's not going to work because worldly things are all coming to an end at some point in time, and that's what Peter wants his audience to understand. Look, they're getting pressured to go back to their old ways. I'm sure many of them were thinking, just like some of you may be thinking, man, it was a lot easier when I was a non-Christian. I didn't get this pressure at my job. I didn't get this pressure from society. I didn't get this pressure on social media. It, it was a lot easier being a non-Christian. But Peter is saying, look, this life is, 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 is small compared to the grandiose, the big thing that we need to focus on. It's much bigger than this life. Because guess what? This life is not forever. This life is going to come to an end. But if you have your hope in Jesus Christ, that is forever. That is permanent. And that should bring us great Joy. There's two different hopes that I want you and I to understand as we walk out of here this morning. There's a living hope, the biblical Christian living hope that's rooted in Jesus Christ, and there is a dying hope. The dying hope is that cross-your-fingers type hope. The dying hope is that hope that comes and goes, that's here today and then tomorrow you're hoping for something new because that hope has exhausted itself. It's gone, it's no longer there. Everything with a dying hope has an end date. It's either gonna end at the end of this life when you can't take it with you, or it's gonna end a lot sooner than that. It is a dying hope. Soon as you make that hope, it, is, it starts to die off. I mean, you look at one of the things that took over uh, sports world over the last month was the World Cup. The World Cup, you have these 32 teams that represent these countries that are battling for a World Cup championship. I don't know if that's what they call it, I'm not a soccer fan, so. Let's just go with it. World Cup championship, 32 teams that start. The whole country is behind them. They've been focusing on this for four years. They've been practicing blood, sweat, and tears for four years for this championship. And Argentina wins this championship, and their country is elated by it. Four million people. I mean, that's more than every person in Orange County coming out to downtown, the downtown area, and flooding the streets to celebrate with Argentina because they've won the championship that they've all been working for for the last four years. But you know what one of the questions was in the press conference? Do you think you guys can repeat in 2026? <laughs> what? I've just spent four years working on this and you're already talking about the next World Cup? You're already asking me, is my best player going to come back and play in the next World Cup? Why? Because th- that's it. You've worked for this moment. It's here. You've accomplished it, but it didn't fulfill you. So in order to fulfill you, we got to start talking about the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. And the ones before don't even matter anymore. So what was once a hope that you set your mind on that you thought was everything is now gone, and you're focused on the next one. It's a dying hope because it has no foundation. It has no roots. But then you have a living hope, a living hope that the word of God expresses to us that is only through Jesus Christ, that living hope. And that's why Paul is able to say, to live is Christ, to die is what? Gain, to die is gain. Because once he is in Christ, every day that he lives, no matter the persecution that he faces, no matter uh, the shipwrecks that he's facing, how many beatings he's taken, he's saying, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm getting closer to Christ, praise God. Because it is a living hope, it continues to grow the more and more experience you have with Christ and his goodness. It grows and it transcends this life. That's the hope you and I need to make sure that we have and that our hope is rooted in. Its foundation is based in Christ because of his great mercy, we've been born again to a living hope. And that should make us glad. But being born again provides another gift And it tells us that in verse 5, back in our passage, verse 5, so we understand that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To what? Verse 5. To an, or excuse me, verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for You, Aaron Spelling was an iconic film producer and he died in 2006 and when he died his net worth was 600 million dollars and his family was in the film business as well he had a daughter named Tori Spelling who was an actor in her own right and so when Aaron Spelling died Tori Spelling who was somebody that liked to spend a lot of money she had her mind set on a big payday big payday but to her surprise When her father died, he left her with only $800,000, $800,000 out of $600 million. So she was blown away. She was surprised, and I'm sure quite angry. But her father knew that she couldn't handle money. She would defile it if he gave her more than what she got in that $800,000. So he gave it to his wife. He gave everything else to his wife and gave his daughter only $800,000, and of course, she blew through that $800,000 quickly. And she didn't just stop there. She, she went up and racked up a debt of some sources even say up to $18 million beyond the $800,000 with her shopping sprees and all of that. And guess who ended up having to help pay for some of those bills? Mom. Mom. So the money that that Aaron Spelling thought that he was setting aside, the strategy that he thought he had by protecting his investment, protecting his money, ended up going where he didn't want it to go anyway. It was defiled because an earthly inheritance is going to be squandered one way or another. You can't save it, you can't strategically protect it. Once you're gone, it's going to be squandered. Hopefully, it lasts for a little bit longer than what the spellings did, but it's gonna be defiled. It's earthly. It's going to be touched, it's gonna be handled, and you're not gonna have any say-so with it. But as we focus on the heavenly abode, if we focus on God's protection of it, what God is saying is there's nothing that can happen to your inheritance if it is rooted in Christ he's protecting it. It is undefiled. It is imperishable. It is unfading. Nothing can happen to that because it is beyond earth. It is beyond this life and it is in heaven. I love the way he says that imperishable, undefiled, unfading. There's one word that I think that can symbolize all of that. Perfect. It's perfect. Our inheritance will be perfect, and you and I need to meditate on that truth even more as we live through this life of the perfection of heaven and how it is being protected. And that's number two, point number two this morning for us is you and I need to meditate on the perfection of heaven. Meditate on the perfection of heaven. As we look back at our passage, Peter wants their mind set on heavenly things. Set your mind on things above not on things of the earth. Peter wants them to focus on the things that are in store for them in the future, not on what they're going through now. Because guess what? What they're going through now is tough. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning, I'm sure for some of those people. But Peter is saying, don't focus on this. Set your mind on things that are above and it's going to allow you to live this life and everything that it has to offer with joy and much praise to God and much gladness towards God because your inheritance is far beyond this life. What awaits you is perfection. There's one reason and one reason alone why you and I don't think about heaven enough. And we don't think about heaven on the scale that heaven is. And that one reason is Satan has blinded us. Satan has blinded us. Satan wants us to focus our attention on earthly things, not on heavenly things. Because if we focus our attention on the perfection of heaven, then we can endure this life because we know this is not our home. But Satan's MO is wanting us to focus on earthly things and get our minds all consumed with this is it. This is all we have to live for. And if I don't make this perfect, then I, my, my life is ruined. And that's why many people that don't have a hope in Christ, their life is is ruined. It's in shambles because this life was not meant to put your hope in. It is not lasting. It is going to bring you much despair. It is going to bring you much struggle because God did not design this life for us to put our hope in, in the things that are in this life. Our hope should be only in Jesus Christ and Satan, had, our, our mind has been even transformed and even sometimes shaped by the things that we've grown up hearing, right? You've, you've seen cartoons. You've seen movies that have described heaven as, you know, a boring place where cloud, we're just floating on clouds playing harps and singing songs of worship, right? You've heard silly quotes of people saying, oh, heaven is just going to be like a long church service that's never ending, right? You hear people that say, that have the audacity to say, just, just, ridiculous things like, hey, I'd rather go spend time in hell with my friends than be in heaven with all the boring Christians. Absurd. It's absurd, but we, we hear those things, and sometimes we, 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 we think that that's what heaven is. We say things like, hey, this life, ah, man, this experience that I just have, it can't get better than this. Guess what? Yes, it can. Right? We, we say things like, ah, this is perfect. Guess what? No, it ain't. I know that's not grammatically correct. It's not perfect. (laughs) Heaven is perfect. Heaven is perfect. And Peter wants them to understand that because the world around them, those Christians, just like the world around us, is trying to make us feel like, hey, we're missing out if we don't experience all this world has to offer. It's right in line with Satan's strategy. John 8.44 tells us he is the father of lies. So guess what he's going to do to you? He's going to lie to you. He's going to lie to you about the goodness of heaven so that you focus here on this life and not on heaven. Satan wants us to have a low view of God and a low view of heaven. I mean, sometimes we even get Christians, Christians, strong Christians that look at this life and say, hey, I don't know if I'm ready to go yet. I don't know if I want to say Jesus come now. Because this life is okay. This life is is, is fine for me. Christians, if you're thinking that, you don't have a high enough view of heaven. Because if you have a high enough view of heaven and its perfection, you'll say, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, now. (laughs) Come, Lord Jesus, now, because I know how perfect that life is going to be. And it's far better than anything that I can imagine in this life. I don't care how great your life is. Heaven is perfect. And we need to meditate on that more because if we don't meditate on that more, then we'll look at heaven with earthly lenses. We'll look at heaven with earthly lenses as heaven might just be a step up from here. It just might be. But let us not forget, Christians, who God is. Let's not forget who God is. God is the creator of everything, that joy that you've had with whatever experience that you had in 2022, guess who created that sense of joy? God did, right? Any any excitement that you've ever experienced, anything that you said, this is wonderful, I love this, guess who created that whole scenario? Guess who created that sense in your mind to give you that? God did. And if God did that for us, in this life, just imagine what he has in store for us when we get to dwell with him for eternity. <laughs> it's going to be a great thing. It's going to be mind-blowing. Matter of fact, let's go to Revelation 21 to read a little bit about that, so we can meditate and think about that more, about what's in store for us in heaven. Revelation 21 1 through 4. I know we read a little bit about it during our worship set, but I want to read it again. We just read about it two days ago in our DBR, but I want to read it again. I mean, we we should be reading this every single day because it is that good to meditate on. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Let me just pause right there. The sea was no more. Think about how unimaginable that is. There will be no more seas. I'm sure we'll have rivers and lakes, but there will be no more large seas on the earth. Three-quarters of this earth right now is the sea. That will be no more in the new heavens and new earth. That alone, think about how unimaginable that is. You have to meditate and really think about that goodness. Keep going. Verse 2, And I saw a holy city, And I love this, verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's hard to think about, Christians. There will be no more crying. Anything that's made you sad, anything that's gotten you down, anything that's caused you heartache or pain, there will be no more of that in heaven. No more suffering, no more pain. Some of you waking up with, with, with achy ailments this morning, you won't have any of that anymore. You'll be jumping for joy. We won't need to sleep. Let's get that straight, all right? We, we, we won't need the, 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 the moon, and we'll have God's glory all day, every day. That is something that you and I have to meditate on. We have to take ourselves out of this earthly life, as far as with the lens is on, and meditate on the perfection of heaven to continue us through this life. And you're probably wondering, well, for eternity? For eternity? Yeah, for eternity. Because if you look in verse 27, 21-27, it says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. So it's locked, sealed, shut. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise God for that perfection. Praise God for that future that we get to have. And again, we must meditate on that specifically without the earthly lenses of trying to think about what heaven is going to be like using earthly lenses. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be unimaginable, completely different. It's not a cross-your-fingers type hope. That's a promise. It's a promise for you and I that we will be in heaven with the perfect Perfection. So I love that that old school hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. John Newton says this towards the end. He says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That means the first day that we get into heaven, How mind-blowing it's going to be. How jaw-dropping it's going to be. How amazing that is going to be. He's saying 10,000 years later, it's going to be mind-blowing. It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be jaw-dropping, and it's going to be that way for eternity. And it will never wear out. We need to meditate on that. We need to meditate on that. Peter wanted their minds on that. I want your minds on that as you go into 2023. Meditate on that. How do we do it? One way to do that is that should be your morning prayer. Your morning prayer to meditate on the goodness and the perfection of heaven. How great that's going to be. Meditate on that. Just as you were to purchase a new home and you might still be living in your old home, but you know how great that new home is going to be, we need to meditate on that. Think about that and pray and thank God for that new home that we're going to have that's going to be perfect. Meditate on that. Pray about that every morning. Make that a morning prayer. The other thing you and I need to do is we need to talk about that more. Talk about that with other Christians. Talk about that with non-Christians. That is a great evangelism tool to talk about how perfect heaven is going to be. Because guess what? The person you're evangelizing to, they've got trials just like you do. They've got heartaches just like you do. They've got pains just like you do. But guess what does not have heartaches, trials, and pains? Heaven does not. And we need to talk to them about that. We need to encourage other Christians when we're talking about life, when we're talking about enduring through this life, we need to meditate on how perfect Heaven is going to be. If we go back to our passage, even if I, I, I just take from verse six in First Peter chapter one, Peter tells them this: he "says In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials." Peter's saying, I, "I know the trials are coming, and guess what? Trials are coming in your life. You can do whatever you want to do to try to avoid it. Trials will come, but Peter wants you." to rejoice, God wants you to rejoice because it's not about putting your hope in this life. It's about putting your hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ that's going to allow you to endure whatever this life has to offer, whatever it has to offer. Some of you are doing this well, and I want to encourage you. You're doing this well. You are an encouragement to many of us in this church and many of us outside of this church. Because you've faced trial after trial after trial over and over again, and you continue to praise God. It is a beautiful thing, and it lifts all of us up. I want to implore you, keep doing that. Because guess what? That's not in vain. God has heavenly rewards being protected for you, too, as you continue to endure. You continue to be a point of edification for many believers. Continue to do that. That's how Paul kept going in Romans 8:18. 8, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul understood that. He didn't, he didn't have his hope in this life or anything in this life. He had his hope fixated on Christ. And he said, It's not even worth comparing. Whatever this life has to offer, it's not worth comparing to this glory that is to be revealed to us. Your investment is beyond this world can't perish, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's going to be perfect. But then there's a third benefit as well as we get back into our passage. Third benefit of this living hope in verse 5. It says, the living hope who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in The last time. In the last time. uh, In Atlanta, Georgia, there is a a, a famous vault. It is Inside this vault, it has the recipe to Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola at its headquarters has on a a handwritten piece of paper in 1919, the the person that that created the goodness of Coca-Cola and that recipe, they put it on paper and it is in a vault. And they protect this this piece of paper. Matter of fact, only two senior executives at a time have access to this recipe. Nobody else knows what this recipe is. They don't even let the two senior executives fly on the same plane. They are like overly protective about this recipe. Why? Because they understand that if this recipe gets out, then competitors have an opportunity to mimic and and copy off of Coca-Cola. They might change it a little bit, but they get an understanding. And they could knock Coca-Cola off from being the soda of choice for many years. But they have a, a high level of protection on that because why? It is valuable. Their entire company rides on that recipe and its uniqueness. And so they put a high level of protection, a high level of security on that recipe. Well, God puts a high level of security on the most important thing that we have in this life, and that is our salvation in Jesus Christ that gives us access to our heavenly abode. And he puts the best protection around that, <laughs> and that's himself. He is protecting that. that. That word guarded is a military term that's used. It's protecting, it's securing, it's, it's guarding, it's making sure that it cannot be tampered with, cannot be taken away, cannot be bothered in any way, and we have the best protection that anyone could ever think of in God protecting us us and guarding us of that. And that's why we can have full assurance in God's plan for salvation because he is the one guarding it for us. And that cannot be taken away. And that's third point this morning for us is you and I need to rest secure in God's plan. Rest secure in God's Plan. God has a plan for salvation for us, and we need to rest secure in that. Put our security in that because we can bank on it that it will never be tampered with. It will never be destroyed. Everybody in this world puts their hope and security in something. It could be in your your, your own health. Right? It could be in your own physical ability. It could be in your job. It could be in your spouse. It could be in a relationship. We all put our hope in something. And guess what? Those things of this earth are not meant to have our hope put in because they will fail us at some point in time. God does not want us to put our hope in the things of this earth, the gifts that he gives us. He wants us to put our hope in the gift giver himself, in the biggest gift that he gave us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he wants us to put our hope in right? It is imperishable. There's another use of imperishable that Peter gives in the first chapter and it's down in verse 23. He says imperishable and the other other reason he uses that is for God's word. So God and all that he's doing in the heavenly abode is imperishable and then also God's word is imperishable. And the only way we can know more of God's plan and we can rest secure in it and we can trust in God's plan is if we are in God's word because it too is imperishable. Flip with me to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7. It's one of my favorite psalms of David to read because it just is a great reminder of how good and how sweet God's word is. Psalm 19, verse 7. It says this, The law of the Lord is perfect. are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. David, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the apostle John, all of them use that same verb, that same word, sweet as honey, sweet as honey. God used those great men to do big things and accomplish big things for his kingdom. And guess what? They didn't put their trust in chariots. They didn't put their trust in horses. They didn't put their trust in armies. They didn't put their trust in them all, their own selves. They put their trust in God's word as their resource. God's word, the same God's word that you and I get opportunity to read, the full canon that you and I can read, that was their main resource. And we need to understand that as well. The Bible prepares us for anything that this life has to offer. The Bible prepares us, if we're in God's Word, if we're studying God's Word, it prepares us and equips us to deal with anything that happens, any trial, any tribulation that comes, God's Word, prepares us for that. I was putting together a trampoline uh, for my kids for a Christmas present, and I don't know, bad idea. It's just a lot, of, a lot of screws, a lot that has to be going on with the trampoline. The first mistake is it said it's recommended two to three people put it together. I decided to try to do it by myself for whatever reason. Uh, but it, it was a lot of work. And as I was putting it through and, and, you know, in a frustrating way, having to go back two or three steps because I missed something, uh, I thought about this in saying that, you know, I put a trampoline together before. But what if... I decided to put a trampoline, this trampoline together based on my feelings and based on past experiences. And then I heard, had the nerve to call the manufacturer and say, hey, this trampoline is not working how it's advertised to work. I know the first question is going to be, well, did you read the instructions? And if I tell them, no, I've done this before, I, I feel like this is the right thing to do. But for some reason, my trampoline is not working like my neighbor's trampoline they're probably going to tell me, what did you expect? What did you expect? We gave you the instruction manual. We gave you all the steps to get the perfect outcome of the advertisement. You have all of them. You chose not to read it, and you chose to do it on your own. What do you want us to do? The same thing happens with God's word. There are many people in here that try to ride this life out based on feelings and experiences. And then we wonder why we don't have the same hope and joy even in the midst of trials that some of the other Christians have in our Bible study. Some of the other Christians have that we're sitting beside at church. It's because we're not reading the instruction manual. We're not entrenching ourselves in God's word. We're not reading the DBR. We're not studying God's word. We're not equipping ourselves with God's word that He's given us to allow us to have the hope that He has designed that allows us to get through anything. You and I need to be in God's word more and rest secure in God's plan by first and foremost studying His word that He's given us that allows us to have that hope. We got to be in God's word. Otherwise, It's going to be hopeless if you put your hope in anything else. The more you experience God's word, the more you experience you have with Jesus, the more hope you have, the more you understand that, yeah, this life is tough, but this life is not it. My hope is in something far beyond this life. My hope is not in this life. It's in the next life. Some of you might be thinking, I can imagine, well, you don't understand my situation, Because what I've gone through is unlike many others. You've had to watch your child suffer. You've lost a loved one. You're dealing with chronic pains and health declines. I want to say this word of encouragement for you. Peter didn't understand what his audience was going through either. But what he did understand is exactly what I understand. Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. No matter what your sufferings is, are in this world, the grace and mercy of Jesus goes far deeper than your sufferings. And it may just require you to make an adjustment and take the hope out of what you've lost or out of what you've, you think you should have had and place it back into Christ and and experience that joy in Christ Jesus, in his finished work. Because it's not about this life, it is about the next one. Paul tells us that 2 Corinthians 8 and nine. You know this verse, talking about the thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was able to endure through all of that because his hope wasn't in this world. His hope was in Christ that was transcendent beyond this world, but God doesn't doesn't waste a trial. Every trial has a purpose, and every purpose of that trial is to bring you closer to him. And so let's just make sure we have that hope that's rested in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I got a text from a brother from this church a few weeks ago, and it was just a great text that just reminded me of this very truth, because he's been going through a lot of trials and tribulations in his own life. But he sent me this text and said, you know what I just realized? I've been praying, asking God to take this trial away, to fix this, to reconcile this, to make it better. But I recently changed my prayer, and it's helped me. It's given me a peace. And I changed my prayer from, God, take this trial away, make me feel better, to, God, help me understand your ways. Help me change my mindset to be according to your plan, not what I plan for this life. And he said it brought him peace, brought him peace. It's not about this life. Yes, this life is going to bring ups and downs. And we got a job to do, Christians, while we are here in this life. But our hope and our joy and our salvation is for the next life. And we need to meditate on that more. And we need to think about God's goodness and the perfection of his plan. One more verse from Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. He reminds us, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We can rest secure in God's plan because his plan has been completed in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's where our hope should be, and that can't be taken away. When I was in college uh, during basketball season, we would only get a few days home for Christmas. Uh, It was in the middle of the season, so we would get anywhere from two to three days to come home, uh, and then we would have to get back to practice in our games. Uh, So I remember one season I came home for Christmas and I had a layover in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so I'm flying from Brooklyn, New York to Little Rock, Arkansas, trying to get to Dallas, Texas home. Uh, And I got stuck in Little Rock, Arkansas for over 12 hours. I don't know if you've ever been to Little Rock, Arkansas, but it makes John Wayne look like LAX. (laughs) Not a fun place to spend 12 plus hours. But I was stuck there. And only had a few days. And so when I first found out that I missed a flight and the next flight wasn't until 12 hours later, later, I was miserable. I was frustrated and I was angry. But then I realized one thing, that I was either going to get on the next flight or my parents were about to get in the car and drive five hours to come pick me up and take me home where I ultimately wanted to be. And it changed my whole aspect and experience in Little Rock, Arkansas. I mean, I started to go to every fast food place they had in there. My parents probably weren't happy because I was swiping the card left and right. But I decided to enjoy it. I started talking to people that were there and talking about Christmas and talking about their plans for all all that they had to go on for the holidays. But I, I started to enjoy my experience there in a place that I didn't want to be because I realized it wasn't home and I was soon about to go home. My hope wasn't in that airport. My hope was in the fact that I was about to go home soon. It allowed me to endure whatever miserableness that airport had to offer because I knew that wasn't my home. Well, as Christians, I want to remind you, this is not our home. And we need to be glad that our hope is permanent, that we have a hope for a future. We have a hope that that doesn't end here. God has given us a hope that we need to fixate our minds and and meditate on more. The perfection of heaven, you and I need to meditate on that more. Think about that every morning as we get ready to endure what this life has to offer. And we need to rest secure in God's plan. God's plan for salvation that although, yes, this life will be bumpy, 2023, you can say all the happy New Year's you want, you will have your ups and downs. It's going to happen. But if you're a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and if you're not a Christian, I'm imploring you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because once you do, you can have that permanent hope, that lasting hope, that living hope that whatever this life has to offer, you can endure it. Because you know when this life ends, you will be ushered into the presence of a perfect heaven and you will dwell with Christ for eternity. Let's live that way. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this truth, this truth to remind us that this world is not our home, that we can put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ and know that just as Jesus Christ was resurrected, we too will be resurrected and we will spend eternity in heaven. That will be a glorious day. Lord, I know that is a hard truth for us to apply because this world is constantly trying to get our attention to focus on the here and the now and the things that are going on, the job troubles that we have, the, the, the losses that we've suffered, the relationships that are no longer there. This world tries to get us to conform our minds to make us think that we're missing out here. But Lord, I just pray that this would be a great reminder that we're not missing out on anything here because our hope is not here. Our hope is far beyond this world but it allows us to live this life with much more joy and worship you with the worthiness that you deserve to be worshiped with, regardless of whatever our circumstances are. Lord, so help us to do that better starting today. Lord, I pray that today, this week, this month would be different because we are constantly fixating our minds on the goodness and the finished work of Jesus Christ, and it allows us to live with the lasting hope that ushers us into eternity, where we all want to be. Come, Lord Jesus. We want you back now, but we know you have work for us to do. And I pray that we would do that well, do that with excellence, knowing that we have a hope for a future in you. We give you all the thanks and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.